I invite you to turn with me this morning to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 13. And we'll be looking at uh, one verse this morning. It is verse 17, Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17. We read, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls, as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. For that would be of no advantage to you. As he draw nears to the end of his epistle, the author of Hebrews lays two matters before his readers. Here in verse 17. The first concerns the matter of respect for Christian leadership or respect for spiritual leadership. The verse reads, the A part of verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to them. Implied in this instruction is the authority of elders, of pastors, and bear in mind, as we said, these are one and the same. Elders, pastors, bishops, they're all one and the same. But implied in this instruction is the authority of elders, of pastors in the church, an authority that's not self-derived, an authority that is not self-imposed, but an authority that's divinely given. And appointed by God, it is his will that due regard be given to those who provide spiritual leadership for the church. The church is not to disrespect nor be dismissive of them. Now, to the worldly carnal mind, this seems obnoxious. This idea of submitting to any kind of leadership, for that matter, or culture, is anti-leadership. It is anti-authority. It goes against the grain of human pride, nevertheless, with respect to spiritual leadership. Respect for spiritual leaders is part and parcel of what is involved in serving God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, as the writer had stated in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 28. So you, we need to read Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28, the end of Hebrews chapter 12, and we need to read everything that follows in the light of Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 28. And we gather then that we are not honoring God, we are not serving God acceptably if we are not rightly related to divinely constituted authority in the church. John Phillips puts it well when he stated, quote, the rule of the elder must be acknowledged. The Christian community is not a democracy where the majority rules, nor is anarchy where every man does whatever pleases him. It is a theocracy over which God rules through elders, end quote. Early in verse 7 of this chapter, the recipients of the epistle were instructed to remember those who was, was to remember their leaders, and he 
qualified those leaders by saying those who spoke the word of God to you. So we know then he's speaking specifically of elders, stroke pastors, stroke bishops. In fact, later in verse 23, to show the regard he has for leadership, he instructs the church to greet all their leaders and all the saints. So our focus this morning is on verse 17, which concerns this matter of showing proper regard for leaders, for our spiritual leaders, understood here to be those who give spiritual oversight to the church, namely pastors or elders. Word of God says, obey your leaders and submit to them. What in the world is the writer saying to us here? Well, to begin with, in no way is he suggesting that elders are overlords in relation to God's people. Theirs is not the posture of domineering leadership. It is not a posture of domineering leadership, of lording it over those under their charge. Their authority does not involve controlling, manipulating the church in any way. First Peter reminds elders in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 2, Theirs is a task to shepherd the church, the flock of God. Here's what Peter says, not domineering over those in their charge, but being examples to the flock. The Apostle Paul gives us an example of this type of what we might call shepherd leadership, this shepherd type leadership when he wrote the Corinthian Christians in 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 24. Here's Paul's posture. Here's the attitude he takes as an apostle, as a leader in relation to the Corinthian church. He says this, not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy. Elders are vested with the authority from God to bring the word of God to bear on the lives of God's people. That's where their authority ends. They do not, for example, have the authority to dictate to the flock on matters of personal liberty and conscience. In other words, on matters on which the word of God does not touch explicitly on areas that do not violate the word of God. So what that means is where the, where the word of God is silent on any matter, they have no authority to issue dogmatic directives as to what one should or should not do. With that said, the summons of our text is to show deference or spiritual leaders, namely to obey and submit to them. That stands according to the word of God. Now, to help us understand what he means when he says here, obey your leaders, we need to understand here that the Greek word that's used for obey connotes that obedience which stems from a persuasion that a given directive, that a directive that has been issued is valid and hence is worthy of being executed. The word that is used there for obey is an unusual word. It is a word 
the, the root of which means to persuade. So inherent in this obedience is the idea of that obedience that arises from a sense of persuasion, a sense of conviction that the directive that is being issued is valid, is legitimate, and hence is to be executed. It is a word that is translated followed in Acts chapter 5, verse 36, referring to the 400 men who followed Theudas, a man whom Luke says rose up claiming to be somebody. These 400 men followed him in his rebellion against the Roman authority because as far as they were concerned, they were convinced, they were persuaded that that was the right thing to do. The Greek word that's used here in our text for obey is also used in Acts chapter 5 and verse 39. It is used there of the Sanhedrin taking the advice of Gamaliel, a rabbi, who cautioned them concerning their opposition to the apostles. Remember what Gamaliel said to them in his wisdom. He says, listen, if this thing be of God, it will, you can't fight it. But if not, leave it alone. God will deal with it. And what happened? They took his advice. What is the point here? They were clearly persuaded that he was giving them sound advice. So we could say then that to obey one's leaders, you, looking at how this word is used in Acts chapter 5, those verses I've just shown you, we could say then that to obey one's leaders involves, among other things, following them, provided, of course, their directive is in line with the word of God, provided that their leadership is God-honoring. Such obedience involves following their counsel, following their counsel insofar as their counsel is informed by the word of God. And from these considerations, we gather then that Obedience to our pastors must never, must never be blind, mindless obedience. Rather, there must be a conviction, there must be a persuasion that their leadership is honoring to God, that their leadership is in conformity with the word of God. In obedience to them, there must be a persuasion that their lives are modeling the ways of the Lord, that their lives, their leadership are directing us into the ways of the Lord. This does not mean, of course, that we are to set unreasonable expectations of them, that we are to expect of them perfection, because here's the truth, they'll never be perfect in this life. They'll never be perfect. Men, listen, your leaders are flawed men. I know that of a fact. We are flawed men. In fact, the best way to know we are flawed, well, let me talk about myself. Talk, talk to my wife. You know I'm a flawed man. <laughs> but, you know, we, we are not perfect. We, leaders are not perfect. They, they have feet of clay. Nevertheless, what the Word of God teaches is that those who lead should be men of exemplary Christian character. They should lead lives of consistent godliness, consistent godly character, 
It doesn't mean, of course, as we said again, that they are perfect, but as far as they are able, by the grace of God, they are living what could be considered an exemplary Christian walk. In short, this takes us back to what the author had said back in verse 7. Remember what he had said back in verse 7, how that, in remembering their leaders, he, he told them, he said this, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Obedience to leadership must never be blind and mindless. That's Jim Jones. That's what, what, what we had in Guyana some years ago, the massacre in Guyana. You assess your leaders, you follow your leaders, you obey your leaders insofar as they are taking you in the direction of the word of God to the glory of God. In our text, we find instruction then to not only obey our leaders, but secondly, the word of God says we are to submit to them. And the Greek word that's used here for submit is a compound of two words, and it literally means to give way or yield under, to give way or yield under. The picture we have here is that of not only recognizing and acknowledging the legitimate authority of our pastors, but of yielding to their directives. Well, the question is, what directives? To what directives must you listen when it comes to your pastors? What directives? Rules and regulations which they have devised according to their whims, according to their fancies? Absolutely not. The question then is, on what basis do we yield to their authority? Certainly not on the basis of how magnetic they are in their personality or how forceful they are in their personality. In fact, this has absolutely nothing to do with submission to leadership. We do not submit to our leaders because they have a magnetic personality. We do not submit to our leaders because they have a forceful personality, because they are likable, necessarily. Oh yeah, I think they should be likable. Once again, the basis of our submitting to our leaders, to our pastors, to our elders, is one, the God-given authority with which they have been invested, and two, they're leading us into the will and word of God. We always have to get back to the word of God. The question is, are the people who are leading us men of God? Are they exemplary in their walk? Are they living and teaching and preaching to the honor and glory of God according to his word? And to the extent that they are pointing us to how God would have us think, act, and order our lives to his glory, we are to submit to their authority and leadership. That essentially is the thrust of what it means to obey and submit to your leaders. So the first thing that's covered by our text concerns the matter of Respect for spiritual leadership. Respect for spiritual leadership. But second, second thing we see in our text this morning is this, the responsibilities of spiritual leadership. The responsibilities of spiritual leadership. The question is, what are the responsibilities of pastors and elders? 
We could spend time on that this morning, but we are confined to our text this morning. And in a word, it is this. The responsibility of the pastors, of the elders, first of all, is this. It is attending to the well-being of souls under their care. It is attending to the well-being of souls under their care. Notice in verse 17 in explaining why believers are to obey their leaders, why they are to submit to their leaders. Notice what the writer says in the C part of verse 17. He says this, for they are keeping watch over your souls. Pastors bear the responsibility of watching over the souls of those under their ministry. They watch over your souls. Literally in the Greek, it reads as follows. They watch on behalf of or in regard to your souls. The word watch connotes the ideal. It connotes the attitude of alertness. It speaks of earnestness of attention such that one is deprived of sleep if need be. The word there that is used for watch, inheriting that word in the Greek is a word that has to do with sleep, sleep deprivation. And the idea here is this, that leaders are to be alert with respect to the flock such that if need be, they lose sleep. That your leaders watch on behalf of or with respect to your souls, beloved, says that their essential responsibility is that of caring for your spiritual well-being. That essentially is what being a pastor, what the elders, what pastors are called to do. They are called to care for the spiritual nurture, for the spiritual health, for the spiritual well-being of the flock, the church. It is that of seeing to it that you are spiritually equipped for life in this world, and thus that you are prepared for the life which is to come. What are we doing as the Reformed Baptist Church of Lafayette with respect to this ministry? What are we as leaders, as spiritual leaders called to do? We are called to care for the spiritual well-being of the church. We are called to have the oversight of people's lives. Somebody says, who gives you the right? <laughs> it's God. Of course, once again, it's not a police. It's, we must not construe it in terms of a, of, a, of a police activity. But the idea of a shepherd, the concern of a shepherd seeking to ensure that the flock is spiritually healthy, that the flock is nurtured in the word and ways of God. And the question is precisely how do they attend to the well-being of the church? How do they attend to the well-being of souls? How do pastors, how do elders watch over your souls? Well, first and foremost, they watch over your souls by speaking the word of God to you. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 7. They watch over your souls by speaking the word of God to you. It is that word which 
is in, in Acts chapter 20, verse 32, is characterized as the word of his grace, the word of the grace of God, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified. Your leaders watch over you. And they do so by protecting you. Somebody says, I don't need to be protected. That's patronizing. <laughs> well, listen to what the word of God suggests. Your, your leaders watch over you. And they watch over you by protecting you, by steering you away from wolves. That is from false, dangerously deceptive teachers who would make shipwreck of your faith, who would lead you in a path of destruction, who would lead you to embrace ideas, to embrace doctrines that are contrary to the word of God and does, that does nothing but damn and destroy souls to a Christless eternity. You see that in Acts chapter 20, verses 29 through 31, Paul is taking his leave of the Ephesian elders, and he says, listen, I know that after my departure, there are going to come wolves who are, gonna not, who are not going to spare the flock, men who are going to come looking out for themselves. But here's what he says, I commend to you the word of God and his grace, which is able to build you up. He says, take this word and feed the flock of God. Feed the flock of God. Shepherd the flock of God. And as pastors, we are not only to feed the flock, but we are also to fend the flock. We are to nurture the flock, and well, we are to protect the flock. Your spiritual leaders, your pastors, your elders watch over your souls by praying for you. Theirs is a responsibility to devote themselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Acts chapter 6 verse 4, for your spiritual nurture, for your spiritual growth. In fact, we see a clear example of this in Epaphras in Colossians chapter 4 verse 12. Here's what Paul says of him. He says he's always struggling for you, always laboring fervently for you, that you might stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Paul says, I bear him witness. So among the ways that pastors are to watch over the flock, would be, number one, to speak the word of God to them, to proclaim the word of God to them, to preach the word of God to them. Number two, by praying for them. Also, spiritual leaders watch over the souls under their care by visiting with them, visiting with them in their illnesses and in their distresses. We see that in James chapter 5, verse 14. In fact, back in chapter 1 of James, James chapter 1, I think it is verse 27, he says this, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. What is it, James? And he says, it is to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. So that's the first responsibility of spiritual leadership. It is... To care for those under their ministry. Second responsibility of spiritual leadership is this. It is that of accounting to God for the exercise of their trust. 
Pastors, elders have the responsibility of accounting to God for the exercise of their trust. We see that in verse 17d. Look at verse 17d. Let's read again. In fact, let's read again verse 17 until we get to the D part of verse 17 so that we can get the full sense of what James is saying. Here's what he says. Obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls. Here it comes. Here it comes. As those who will have to give an account. That's a solemn responsibility. And though he does not explicitly mentions here who it is that they'll have to give an account to, it is most certainly implying that the one there to give an account to is God. My friends, that leaders will give an account to God someday for the souls under their care, the souls that God has entrusted to them suggests at least two things. Number one, it says to us, firstly, that pastors are not free to do as they please. They're going to be held accountable. There are pastors today, my friend, who use the position of leadership for self-aggrandizement, for self-promotion. They manipulate people and their lives. They dictate to people. They are domineering and they really wreak havoc in the church. Here's the point. They are going to have to give God to God an account for how they have exercised their ministry. Secondly, it says to us that those who hold positions of leadership in a church, for such people, it is an awesome and most serious responsibility. It is not something, my friends, that we seek after for self-glory. We see something of the gravity of such responsibility illustrated for us in Ezekiel chapter 33, 7 through 9, in which God appoints Ezekiel as a watchman over souls. God tells Ezekiel, he says, Look, when I say to the wicked, you shall die, repent, and if you fail to show him his sins, if you fail to tell him of his wicked ways and he dies in his sin, then I will require his blood at your hands. Vice versa, if you tell him, if he refuses to listen, you'll be free from his blood. This is one of the things that on a personal note, when I think of these things, when I think of the fact that I will be held accountable to God, it impels me to preach the word of God without fear. Preach it without partiality. Preach it even when it hurts to do so. See? And here, let me tell you, a pastor are preachers who are, may I use the expression, worth their salt. Preachers of character cannot mess around and fool around and be flippant with the word of God. It's always a solemn moment. Richard Baxter says that every time we venture to preach, we must preach as though it were a last sermon. We are preaching to dying men, a dying man to dying men. 
And it's not for a position of glory, self-glory. It's not for a position of prominence. It's not for any kind of self-glory that one is to aspire to spiritual leadership. Those who hold positions of spiritual leadership, the word of God teaches, will be held accountable to God. They'll be judged by God. They'll be assessed by God. They'll be assessed for what they taught. They'll be assessed for how they taught. They'll be assessed for how they lived. They'll be assessed for the kind of influence, the kind of impact they exerted on those under their care. That's why the Apostle James, could he say the caution he issued in James chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, he says this, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we stumble, we all stumble in many ways. It's a sobering thought. We are going to stand before God in judgment to give an account for how we have dispensed our ministry with respect to those under our spiritual care. What was the motive with which we carried out our ministry? Was it for status? Was it for the purpose of calling attention to ourselves? Was it for self-glory? Did we serve in a spirit of willingness and desire to bless God's church or were we in it simply for what we could get out of it? Those are heavy considerations. These are among the questions that will factor at the judgment seat of Christ. 1 Corinthians 3, 13 through 15. Each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward if anyone's work is burnt up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Oh, thank God for that one. What the word of God suggests there, you know, is that salvation is not affected. See, nevertheless, we are to be faithful and we are to be earnest in being our best for God. Do your, do your best, Paul told Timothy, to present yourself to God, a workman for God. And this realization of the ultimate accountability we have, leaders have, spiritual leaders have, should impel every pastor, every elder to, in the words of Isaiah 58 verse 1, cry aloud, hold, do not hold back, lift up your voice like a trumpet and declare to my people their transgressions and their sins. No doubt it was this understanding that leaders will be held accountable to God that prompted Paul to challenge young Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 1 and 2. He said to Timothy these words, he says, I charge you in the presence of the Lord Jesus who will judge the quick and the dead, preach the word, be instant in season and out of season. And then he tells him, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. Yes, because we are going to 
be judged. We're going to be held accountable to God. So here in verse 17, the instruction is given to believers then to obey and submit to their leaders, to respect them. Showing due regard for and deference to their God-given authority. The church is to obey, the church is to submit to them insofar as their instruction, as their, insofar as their guidance is informed by God's word. We see also in verse 17 the responsibility of Christian leadership, which is summarily expressed as they're having to give an account to God for the exercise of their trust. Then as we draw to a close, notice the author in the last two clauses of verse 17, what he said to his readers. He says this, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. He's saying to them, listen, in light of the awesome weight of responsibility that your leaders have, in light of what God has called them to do, giving them this awesome responsibility of watching over you, of caring over you, in light of the fact that they are going to be held accountable to God for how they have exercised their ministry. Don't let them carry out this task with a sad and heavy heart. It's as though he's saying to his readers, look, they already have their plates full. (laughs) Cooperate with your leaders. Listen to them. Be supportive of them. Don't be stubborn. Don't be resistant to their leadership such that it grieves them. And beloved, who knows the immensely deep pain, the immensely deep sorrow that many a church has brought to its leaders, to its pastors. Talk about the squabbles, the fault findings, the bickerings that are leveled against their leaders. Do you know, my friends, it happens in churches where pastors, it's only the grace of God why they don't die of a broken heart. They're grieved. Why? Because the flock is stubborn, rebellious, resistant. One of the things I certainly thank God for, and I don't say it because I want to say it and I can say it, but truly our church, you have been, let me say this, you have been very supportive of our leadership. You have not been resistant. In fact, by and large, you love the word of God. I never have to fear, and Pastor Horges, I'm sure, can say this, we never have to fear that the things that we would say from the word of God, the actions and decisions that we would take are going to be met with resistance. Why? Because everything we do, we seek to do according to the word of God. We seek to be men of prayer. And listen, it's not about us. It's about God and the glory of God and the advance of his church. How can members of a church bring joy to their spiritual leaders? I'll tell you, and every true pastor, every true shepherd of the church of Jesus Christ will readily testify to this. You don't know how you can bring joy to us as leaders. The chief way you can bring joy 
to your leaders, to your ministers. It's through the transformation that occurs in your lives in consequence of the teaching of the word of God. Let me tell you, that's sweeter than cash. (laughs) That's sweeter than money. To hear that our sermons or teachings are of great blessing is wonderful. But let me say this, nothing is more wonderful, nothing is more delightful than to see the word of God at work in the lives of people. When we preach the word of God, we teach the word of God, we see the word of God transforming lives. We see the word of God affecting people's families. We see the word of God affecting people's values. We see the word of God changing and transforming lives to the glory of God. Here, for example, the Apostle John, as he writes to Gaius in 3 John 3-4, to he says this, I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth. Now stop there for a moment. Notice he didn't say, the brothers came and testified of you concerning the truth. Do you notice that? He says, the brothers, I rejoice when the brothers came and testified to your truth. Here's the point. Gaius' truth? Yes. Why? Because Gaius had so taken the word of God, had so appropriated the word of God, had so lived the word of God, that the word of God became part and parcel of his life, so much so it's as good as it's his truth. It's like when Paul speaks of my gospel. And, and, and the Apostle John says, I rejoice greater when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. Here's what he says. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in truth. Listen to the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1, verse 18 Concerning the Roman Christians, he says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Why? Because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. To the Thessalonian church, he wrote in 1 Thessalonians 3, 7 and 8, In all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. 2 Thessalonians 1, 3 and 4, he told them, we ought always to give thanks to God for your brothers, as it is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Verse 4, therefore, we ourselves boast about you in churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions, and in the afflictions that you are enduring. He says, you make us happy. You make us live. You make us want to live. And that's God's plan for the church. God's plan for the church is that we show respect for leaders. We are not going to be showing respect for them simply because they hold a position, you know. It, 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 there's a sense in which you, you'll hear it said, at least respect the position. You can do that to the government, right? You, you, you respect the office and so on. But here's the point. God is saying here that the Christian leader is to be what? Exemplary. And submission and obedience to the leadership occurs insofar as they are modeling the word of God 
They are teaching the word of God. They are living to the honor and glory of God. And that is how we serve God acceptably, with reverence and with godly fear.